Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, everybody, and happy Tuesday. Hope your day is off to an amazing start. If you caught my video over on Instagram last week, then you saw the cover of the 30-Day Hormone Solution, my new book. I'm so excited to finally share it with you guys. My book baby has been finally released and it's out into the world. And I finally shared the title and the cover. And I cannot wait for you guys to get your hands on it. And I shared a video last week of me opening the package that my book came in for the very first time. And I was so nervous to share it. And basically, I had been up in my office like the whole day and I was like really tired. It had been a long day, felt like really disheveled and hair was messy and all that kind of stuff. And then came downstairs and there was the package just sitting on the table. And so Gaytan picked up the phone and recorded me opening the package and seeing my book for the first time. And I was like in just complete shock. And I was so nervous and so excited. And yes, there were tears that were shed. And so I shared that video over on Instagram. So you can totally go check it out. And I am so proud of this book. And it's been a labor of love, the 30-day hormone solution. And it is really the foundational program to helping you reset and rebalance your hormonal health, help you lose weight, and help you achieve incredible health. So the first half of the book, I dive into women's health. And so we dive into women's cycles and the different phases of your cycles. Then I dive into adrenal health and thyroid health. And I share amazing supplement protocols. I dive into gut health and sleep and detoxification. All of my best tips and tricks are all in that book. And then the second half of the book, I share a 30-day meal plan along with your reset rules. So if you kind of want to take on the 30-day program, there's some key rules you want to follow along with. And then you've got 60 delicious, gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free recipes that were a huge labor of love. So, so fun creating. Every single recipe has the most beautiful photo to accompany it. And I just can't wait for you guys to see how beautiful they are. We had such an incredible photographer do all of our food styling and our food photography. And my girl, Nat, who does all my lifestyle photography that you'll see in the book as well. So I'm so proud of it. And the recipes are so delicious. I mean, There's all kinds of smoothies and elixirs, some delicious breakfast recipes and some entrees. So for dinner and lunch, I've got soups and salads and sides. And of course, there's desserts. So something for everybody in your family. That is really, even though this book is obviously for women's hormonal health, at the end of the day, I really am hoping that this book will become something that you use regularly in your kitchen and that you refer to these recipes regularly because all the food is so delicious and it will benefit everybody, men, women, kids, everyone. And so I really do hope it will become family favorites for you guys. And I just can't wait for you to get your hands on it. So you can head on over to hormonesolutionbook.com and you can order your book through there. We list out all the different places online that you can go and grab the book. And then you can enter your name, your email address, and your receipt number, and you'll get access to over $350 in free online bonuses. So the book doesn't ship until December 17th, but in the meantime, you're going to be able to go through all of the amazing bonuses that we curated for you guys. So we put together an amazing autoimmune healing meal plan. There is a gut healing guide and meal plan, and there is also also a guide that I created on the 10 essential hormone labs for women. And this is really important because these are labs that you can ask your doctor for and really have a conversation about, you know, getting these tests done. So I'm so excited for it and can't wait for you guys to grab your free bonuses. And that URL again is hormonesolutionbook.com. And if you've pre-ordered your copy, I would love to hear from you. Come find me over on Instagram at holistic wellness foodie and 
let me know. And I just can't wait, can't wait for you guys to see it. And it's shipping at a perfect time because it's right before Christmas. So hoping that everybody will have it in their hands for Christmas time and you can kickstart the new year with the 30-Day Hormone Solution. And definitely stay tuned because we will be releasing some really amazing online programs to really correlate and go in connection with the 30-Day Hormone Solution. So I'm so excited. And pre-orders really do mean so much. I'd be so, so grateful if you feel called to order the book. It would mean so much to me. And pre-orders really do help different bookstores recognize the book and see that it's popular. And then they go and they order it and bring it into their stores and their locations. So that would mean so, so much. And then in the new year, we will be organizing some book signings at different locations. And I'll just keep you guys all posted with that over on the website, as well as on Instagram and here on the podcast as well. All right. So let's dive into our episode today. I'm really, really excited for it because we are talking environmental toxins. And I am interviewing my friend, Laura, and she is an environmental toxins expert and an educator and a certified holistic health coach who teaches health coaches, nutritionists, and other holistic health practitioners how to eliminate the number one thing holding their clients back from the results they are seeking, the unaddressed link between chemicals and chronic health problems. She trains practitioners to become experts in everyday toxic exposures so they can improve client outcomes without spending hundreds of hours researching on their own. Combining environmental health education and business consulting, she's helped thousands of health professionals in over 25 countries around the world elevate their skill set, get better results for their clients, and become sought-out leaders in the growing environmental health and detoxification field. You guys are going to really love this episode, and we talk about a lot of stuff that that's important, especially in the environmental toxin realm. So we dive into water and water quality and water contamination and how we can filter our water effectively. We also talk about endocrine disruptors and how this is disrupting and causing a lot of hormonal imbalances. We also talk about the different products that you want to be conscious of using around your home and where you should really start when it comes to minimizing your toxic exposure and where in your house, what areas of your house should you really focus on. And then I also ask her this question about, you know, what do you say to the person who says to you, well, I've been eating non-organic food my whole life and I've been exposed to toxins my whole life. Like, I'm fine. What does it matter? And the reason I asked her this question is because this is what I hear from my parents. This is what I hear from my mom and my dad. And same with Gaytan. You know, it's like all the... I don't want to necessarily say older people, but yes, some of the older people who are more stubborn and they are so set in their ways, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, They just, they don't really get it and they're not really making that connection between toxins and their health. And so when you listen to this episode, what I really want for you, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by it. And I know sometimes talking about toxins and learning about environmental toxins can sometimes make people feel really paranoid. And that's the last thing I want. I really want you to take this information and just see it for what it is. It's education. And when we know better, we can do better. And that's exactly what this is about. And it's all about just making small changes. You don't have to radically transform everything and throw out all the toxic things that you're exposed to or that are in your house. Start small. And it's about taking those baby steps and every step counts. So that's really how I want you to approach the episode. And again, using using it as knowledge and, and just gaining more knowledge so you can make better choices. So let's dive into our episode today. I really hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. And before we dive into all the goodness that I know you have to share with our audience today, can you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. First, thanks for having me. I love the work that you do, and I'm excited to share with your audience. My name is Laura Adler. I'm an environmental toxins expert and educator, and I teach health professionals really across all modalities about the role that environmental chemicals, environmental toxin exposures can play in the chronic illnesses that people are dealing with, with the intention of empowering, educating and empowering practitioners to take this information to their audience 
their clients, their patients, so that they can have another tool in their tool belt to help them optimize their own health. And, and yeah, and I am a legit nerd on this topic and I love talking about it. So this will be a fun conversation. Absolutely. That's why you're here because we, we're going to nerd out, which is so yes. fun. So how did you even become involved and passionate about environmental toxins? So, you know, I think a lot of people in the health space come to their work because they had their own health challenge that they had to overcome. And in learning all about, you know, their problem, they're like, oh, I want to help other people. That's not actually my story at all. <laughs> I didn't have any issues with toxic exposures that caused me to just, you know, to kind of dive into this world. And it just kind of happened on accident. I was always interested in, you know, wellness and nutrition and just sort of personally. And, you know, long story short, eventually found my way um, out of, you know, not very fulfilling or exciting corporate work into this world of health coaching. And I had clients that were having success in working with me and a couple others that did not have success in working with me. And I really was like, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? Like, what could I have done better? And it was through that sort of figuring out process that I cracked this door open on the world of environmental health, environmental medicine. And it just completely blew my mind. And I really was like, well, wait a second, I've spent the last 15 years of my life, like just voraciously reading all the health and wellness books and, you know, going and getting a health coaching certification and all this stuff. And this was kind of the first time I was really reading about these connections between environmental chemicals and all of the same chronic health issues that people were dealing with. And I was just like fascinated, totally fascinated. And also pretty pissed off. Like I totally. really like people are like, how'd you get into the space? And I'm like, rage, rage, put me <laughs> here. Right. You know, not it was a little, a little extreme, but like I definitely was outraged that companies were using chemicals that even if they just had questionable, you know, data about potential health effects, that they were like, yeah, 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 whatever we're going to continue to use them and we're not going to inform the consumers and we're going to reformulate our products for, for example, the European market, but we're not going to do it for the U S market. Cause like, you know, Americans don't need to know that stuff. And I was just really pissed off and was like, Nope, this is not okay. And I want to spread this information so that people know how to make more informed choices to make sure that they're not doing things or buying things or using things that might be compromising their health unknowingly. And yeah, so I, you know, was at the time I was connected to a lot of health coaches and other nutritionists. And I realized, you know, this is an audience that is very much boots on the ground with people that are dealing with all of these hormone issues and thyroid issues and autoimmune issues and that educating that practitioner would be a great opportunity to get this, this information out there in a, in a bigger capacity. And that's what I've been doing for the last almost eight years. Amazing. Well, your work is so, so needed. And I encourage everybody to go follow you on Instagram. Share, what's your Instagram handle? It's environmental toxins nerd. nerd yeah. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> what I am. Yeah. So there's tons of really great information there. And you certainly don't have to be a health practitioner because I've got lots of non-practitioners that follow me there. Everything I share is just as applicable to the individual as it is to the practitioner. Yes. I learned so much just off of your Instagram feed. So I really Great. do encourage everybody to go check it out and we will definitely put it in the show notes for everyone to go link there. So I have so many questions for you. And one of the first areas that I'd really love to dive into is water, because mm. I know that there are a lot of people drinking contaminated water and I don't even think people really understand like, what does that even mean? And yeah. what are our options? What sort of filtration system should we invest right. in? So I'd love if you can expand on that for us. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that when we think about water in countries like the US and Canada and Europe, like we're looking, you know, developed nations that have, you know, a fairly robust water infrastructure, 
you know, we know that that water isn't going to be a source of communicable diseases. We're not going to get cholera or dysentery or typhoid or any of these sort of diseases that have been traditionally transmitted through contaminated water. Like we don't have to worry about that, right? which is great. And we don't have to worry about that because we disinfect our water supply with chemicals like chlorine or chlorine and ammonia, which produces chloramine. And because of the fact that we're not getting obviously or acutely ill, like gastritis or some kind of GI problem from our water, we kind of have this false assumption that our water is therefore safe. Like we're not living in a third world country. And that's really the bar that we're using to measure whether or not our water is safe. Or we'll say like it tastes fine. These are not accurate measurements of safety. So, you know, at least here in the United States, I know these figures are going to differ depending on what country people live in. But here in the United States, the Environmental Protection Agency regulates approximately 91 chemicals in the drinking water. So there's 91 chemicals that are regulated that are required to be monitored and tested for by your water utility. So here in the States, every, you know, water utility is required to send out like a water quality report every year to tell its customers like, hey, here's what we tested for. Here's what we found. Here's where your water comes from. Like just information for the consumer because, you know, we're public service. We're paying for these water services. And so we get these reports. But those reports are only required to report on the ones that are regulated. There are, however, hundreds of chemicals 200, 300 plus chemicals that are in the drinking water that are not regulated. So there's no watchdog. There's nobody checking out to see whether or not the levels are high or that there's potential harm because they're just not regulated. And we actually, as consumers, have to be concerned about both the regulated and the unregulated. Speaking of Instagram, I posted recently that, you know, there are 77 millions of million Americans who are drinking water that violated the Safe Water Drinking Act because of excessive levels of regulated chemicals. Oh, God. So just because they're regulated doesn't mean that they are safe within what are, yeah, are within safe ranges. Right. And I think, of course, you know, it's helpful in this entire conversation around toxins to kind of qualify what we mean by safe. Like, no, someone's not going to drink a glass of water and then like have heart palpitations and drop dead. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. Right. We're talking about this sort of low dose chronic exposure to whether it's synthetic estrogens from birth control that's in the drinking water or pharmaceuticals or pain medications. These are all things that are not regulated, but that are showing up in our tap water. And how do those exposures that we're getting every single day, day in, day out, constantly, how do those exposures influence what's happening with our health? And, you know, a lot of the research into these low levels of chemicals in our drinking water show that they do, in fact, influence our health in lots of different ways. And so, you know, we have hundreds of industrial chemicals here in the States, one of the big ones is these PFAS chemicals. These are these perfluoroalkyl substances that are contaminating millions of people's drinking water around the States. And it's not regulated, so there's nobody watching out for it. There are some proposed levels that are safe, but these are not levels that are safe according to the health experts. It's the level that the It's a negotiation, right? It's like, what can the municipality afford to take out and what can it not afford to take out? And what's the negotiation there? And interestingly, at least here in the United States, the American Society of Civil Engineers, which is the organization that rates the infrastructure of things like our bridges, our highways, our electrical grid, and one of those things is our water infrastructure and across the entire country. And they give us a D grade like almost a failing grade, and they have for years. So the American Society of Civil Engineers rates our water infrastructure as a D. And we have really old water treatment facilities around the country whose they've like surpassed their useful life. There's millions of miles of lead pipes in old cities, like older cities have these problems with lead. So I think that you know, to kind of sum up the issue is that people are under this false idea that 
our water is totally safe to drink. And again, we're using that definition of safe of, you know, is it another source of something that is contributing to our heart issues, our thyroid issues, our autoimmune issues? And, you know, for people that are dealing with those types of chronic illnesses, they really kind of have to look at all of these potential influencing factors and start taking them out so that they can start healing their bodies. Like it's really hard to heal in the midst of, you know, this sort of shitstorm, if you will. <laughs> totally. Of chemicals that we're being exposed to it's, and, you know, stress and poor diet and lack of sleep and all those other factors as well. So, you know, I think just to sort of frame up the water problem, that's what we have going on. And then, you know, the other thing that's really important for people to recognize is that everyone's water is different. So where you live, you might have your water come from an aquifer deep down in the earth. Right. Other people might have surface water that comes from above ground reservoir. Somebody who lives in an agricultural region is very likely to have higher levels of things like pesticides and nitrates, which are runoff from farming in their water versus people that live in a more urban environment might have more industrial chemicals. and everyone's water is different. It's kind of like a thumbprint, right? Like, right. And so because of that, you know, the, one of the number one questions that I get from people is what type of water filter should I get? Yes. Right. <laughs> that's my like, next question. <laughs> that's the next question is like, what do yep. we do about it? And, you know, it's a hard question to answer, unfortunately, because in the same way that I can't say, well, oh, this is the diet that everybody should eat. And this is the exercise routine that everybody should do. Yep. We can't make those statements. Like right. everybody's situation and physiology and lifestyles are different in the same way that everyone's water is different. And there is not one perfect solution or product or brand of water filter that's like, oh, everybody should just go buy this. Because not all types of water filter media, meaning like the stuff that's in there, whether it's activated charcoal or something else, right. they don't all take out all things. So activated charcoal will be really good at taking out some things, but really bad at taking out others. And then we need a different type of media to address those things. Right. And so like activated charcoal is not really effective at removing or reducing fluoride. Mm -hmm. But fluoride is a thyroid suppressant. So if somebody's right. dealing with Hashimoto's or any other kind of thyroid issue, you should make sure that you're removing any excess fluoride that's in the drinking water, even if it's naturally occurring, because it can be, because fluorine is a natural element. But an activated charcoal filter won't remove that in any meaningful amount. And so you need to have a different type of filter. Right. If your city uses chlorine, then maybe an activated filter, activated charcoal filter is going to be sufficient for that. Right. But if your city uses chloramine, which is much harder to remove than a regular activated charcoal is not going to be sufficient. So, you know, what I tell people is that they really have to know what's happening with their water before running out to the store to go buy a filter. It's great. Cause like, what, what do you see at the store? Like you, Oh, I'm going to go to like Lowe's or home Depot or whatever big box store. Yeah. And then you just get in and like, overwhelmed by this like 50 million mile long list of all of these like chemicals and bacteria that you're like, oh, I guess this is pretty good. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't know what's in your water. So you don't know what you're looking for. And it's just kind of, you know, it's silly. And I see people spending tons of money on things that are like way overkill or spending money on things that like are not sufficient. And then they've still like, like Brita, like a Brita filter. filter right? Yes, I know. Yeah. And so, you know, I always say anything is better than nothing. So if people right. are really on a budget, then like, like at the very least get a Brita and change those filters regularly. Right. But for you know that cost you save up, you can eventually get an under sink filter or if you have a house, maybe you can invest in a whole house filter. But there's not a single answer. And I see a lot of people, you know, saying, Oh, this is the greatest filter and that's the greatest filter. And it's like Maybe not. Maybe not for you. Right, based on where you live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I lived for many years in the in you know I was living in New York City. I was living in like a 500 square foot one bedroom apartment that had the tiniest kitchen ever. And I had people that are like, "Oh, you should get a Berkey. Berkeys are great. I love Berkeys. Mm -hmm. I would not have been able to have a Berkey in that apartment because the filter would have had to be in my bedroom. Like there was no room. Right. Makes so, sense. 
there's practical considerations as well. It's not just what's the filter media, it's what's your budget, it's what's what's your situation. Yes. So there's lots of different things to consider. And I know that everybody wants an easy answer, but there just isn't one. So like, how can we go about understanding more about our water supply based on where we live? So the first thing is to check out your water quality report, because it at least will give you sort of this cursory, basic understanding of like, do I have groundwater? Do I have surface water? Do I like, and then no, you know, just pay attention to obviously like, do I live near farms that are applying pesticides? Like factor in those things. But yeah, your water quality report, and I don't know if those are produced by water utilities in Canada. Do you know if you get those? I'm not familiar, but I'm definitely going to look into it. Yeah, I would. I mean, it's a requirement in the States that municipalities send them out usually by like July or August each year. They don't always do it. You know, that the budget of your town can actually dictate the quality of your water because if you have a really modern, contemporary, updated water filtration, water treatment plant, great. You probably have really good water. Awesome. You still may need to filter, but like you're better right. off than a town that's really struggling and doesn't have the technology to remove things like birth control or narcotics or pharmaceuticals or microplastics or whatever. Right. Really the first thing is to just kind of do a little bit of investigative work of like, what does your water utility report that's present in the water? Okay. I'm writing that down. And then from there, people can get their water tested. There's labs that you can send water to and they will test for pesticides, they'll test for heavy metals, they'll test for, you know, radioactive compounds. Certain parts of the country naturally have, you know, higher levels of radioactive isotopes in their water. You know, like all of these things are worth considering if we're working on optimizing our health and, and, you know, we drink water every day. So of course, yeah. And then of course this would even you know, tie into like your shower filters in your house. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, you know, shower filters are for the most part, they're all pretty much the same. And I know that like, you know, people are going to market lots of different things, but there's only a few types of filter media that can tolerate not only high temperatures, but fast water flow, like a high water flow. Because if, you know, like it's not going to do a really great job cleaning it, if that water is just blasting through the filter and not spending very much time interacting with the filter media. So they're all pretty much the same, but if somebody can't, if they're renting or they don't have the budget for a whole house filter, like shower filters are really great. Especially if people have chlorine in their water system, because right. 50% of the chlorine that we absorb in our bodies comes actually from showering. Wow. Yeah. So it's a lot. It's a lot. And you know, chlorine is a halogen on the periodic table and halogens have this affinity towards our thyroid. It's where iodine sits. Iodine is also a halogen. And so if we're, again, have Hashimoto's or some other kind of thyroid issue, we have to really be careful about these types of halogenated chemicals, chlorine, bromine, fluorine in particular. Yeah. Good to know. We have shower filters and then we also have like an under sink filter and yeah. all of the filters as much as yeah. we can. Yeah. We're now that we have a house, we figure we might as well invest in yep. like a whole house filtration. Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, look, I recognize again that like not everybody's gonna have the funds or they're a renter or whatever. And they can. Right, for sure. But like we do the best that we can. And that's why I said earlier, like anything is better than nothing. And We just have to recognize that, unfortunately, while we're not dealing, again, with dysentery or cholera, we are dealing with perfluorinated compounds that are showing up in levels that are concerning in our drinking water. We have lead, we have arsenic, we have pesticides, herbicides. Like We have hundreds of unregulated chemicals that are in the drinking water, and I just think it's an important place to focus some time and energy in finding a good solution. Absolutely. So then what would you suggest if you're like traveling or you're on the road and like you got to go grab water? What do you do? So again, it's like we do the best that we can. You know, there are products. I mean, I think Berkey makes like a travel filter, which... Oh yeah, they do. If you're traveling by car, great. But if you're like backpacking across Europe, like you're not (laughs) bringing a Berkey filter, right? Totally. It depends on what the situation is. So like I like camping and backpacking Mm -hmm. and 
I bring a really small portable water filter so that I can filter lake water. Am I trying to remove pesticides and herbicides? No, I'm trying to remove like protozoa and bacteria that yeah, are going like, to cause digestive problems. Yeah. So there are like, a, like, you know, go to a good camping store like REI or whatever. They have really good portable water filters solutions. If somebody is doing, you know, some sort of like I'm backpacking or I'm traveling across Asia and I just want to be on the safer side. Yeah. Those are options for sure, but they're short-term solutions and that's all they're really intended for. Right. And we do the best that we can. I mean, you know, when I travel, I bring an empty stainless steel bottle. If the airport has a place where I can, has filtered water, they don't often all do. Right. I'll do that. But like, even though I don't want to consume bottled water, which by the way, is not actually better than tap in any way. And most instances, bottled water is just tap water. Tap water. Yep. And there's like a 1900% for charge <laughs> yep. for buying it. So that just seems really dumb and it's extraordinarily wasteful. And there's lots of microplastics in there and chemicals that leach from the plastic into the water. So like not my favorite, but look, if I'm on an airplane or I'm, I'm at the airport and like that is all that's available, of course, then, I'm going to drink it Like, yeah, and I'm not going to yeah. worry about it. And I think that we have to learn to kind of balance having all this information that can be like, holy crap, what? With being a person in the world that is able to navigate these situations with some degree of grace and allow like, hey, look, my whole motto has always been change the things you can control. So you worry less about the ones that you can't. And if I know that my water at home where I am and where I consume the majority of the water during my existence is filtered, then when I'm on the road, traveling. I don't really worry about it too much. But like, here's a good example. I was actually just up in Seattle the other day, was at a restaurant and took one sip of the water. And I was like, wow, it's like swimming pool water. There's just so much chlorine. Everyone at the table was like, no. Yeah. And so I ordered a Topo Chico, which is a, you know, a glass bottle, sparkling mineral water. And I'm like, I'll drink that instead a hundred percent over that like, like pool water that they served us at the restaurant. So, right. Which makes sense. You know, small things like that. Yes. Good to know. And I always say like, it's the things you do most of the time that counts. Yes, so absolutely. All right. So I'd love to dive into endocrine disruptors. You yeah. brought it up briefly and we obviously talk a lot about hormones on this podcast. So I'd love to dive into endocrine disruptors. If you can explain what that is and the impact that it's actually having on our hormones. Yeah. So endocrine disruptors are basically chemicals or substances. They can be natural substances that block or mimic the communication or pathways of natural hormones in the body. And, you know, oftentimes when we think of hormones, we're thinking of like estrogen and testosterone, but endocrine disruptors also interfere with things like leptin and ghrelin, which are the hormones that signal when we're full and hungry. Mm. And so it's not specifically sex hormones, but there are a variety of hormones, thyroid hormone, et cetera, that these endocrine disrupting chemicals can mess with. And part of the way that they do that is they're basically masquerade as real hormones. So if you look at the molecular structure of say like estradiol and then compare it to the molecule of bisphenol A, structurally they're very similar. So it's like imagine having, you know, a house key that's just like the tiniest bit different from your house key, that house key will still probably open your locked door. Right. Right. It's not an exact match. And that's really how our body is working. We have these locks, the locks, meaning our hormone receptors that are really intended to dock with estrogen, estradiol, testosterone, T3, T4, whatever. And when we have these false xenoestrogens, foreign estrogens, another way to refer to them, coming in, they can actually, you know, kick off a cascade of effect in the body that otherwise would not have happened because our natural hormone levels weren't docking in those places or whatever. So, you know, that's sort of generally speaking, what endocrine disruptors do is they just disrupt the natural balance of hormones in the body and they can activate or deactivate processes in the body that are typically controlled by hormones. So that's sort of generally what's happening in terms of how they can affect us. It's really, 
it's all the things. I, I bet. <laughs> and it's, or it's, a, it's certainly a very large swath of things that are associated with endocrine disruption. So even if we just think of the thyroid and like what the thyroid regulates in the body, it's kind of everything. Like our hormones are responsible for everything, everything from fetal development to sexual maturation to menopause to growth to development to weight our metabolism, our mood, our energy, like literally all of these all of the things. <laughs> all of the things, right? Are regulated by hormones and we can have interference in these processes that can result in everything from behavioral problems or learning disabilities in children to, you know, the proliferation of estrogen dependent cancers like ovarian cancers, breast cancers, uterine cancers to thyroid disorders, Hashimoto's, autoimmune flares, to, you know, disrupting our hunger signals, to messing with our metabolism, to increasing fat cell development on the body. There's a whole class of chemicals called obesogens, the majority of which are endocrine disruptors. That's one of the ways in which they act as obesogens is by, you know, altering the way that our fat cells are produced in the body. You know, so there's really estrogen dominance. Like if you have excess estrogen in the body, right. like so many of the chemicals that we are exposed to mimic estrogen specifically, or they're, you know, antagonists to other, other hormones that are sort of favoring estrogen production or what have you. And so we are being inundated with these really small amounts, tiny amounts of synthetic hormones in lots of different forms, multiple times throughout the day, every day of our lives, while we're sleeping, while we're showering, while we're eating, like every day, all day. And, you know, a lot of people will dismiss the idea that these really small amounts of hormones or chemicals or whatever, they dismiss the idea that these are actually meaningful or impactful. They're like, oh, it's too small. That's not how the body works. Right. You know, it's the dose makes the poison. Only large amounts of toxic chemicals are going to have a toxic effect. And that concept of the dose makes the poison is, you know, it's the foundation of toxicology, of our understanding of toxicology. And in the realm of toxicology, it is, I think it was the journal Nature, it's a very well-respected journal, referred to that field of toxicology's embracing of the dose makes the poison as dogma. Like it's just this concept that they have built their entire field of science on. And it is true, but it's partial. It's not always true. And when we talk to endocrinologists or even pharmacologists that are actually designing medications and drugs, they recognize that in order for a drug to be effective, you actually have to dose it in parts per billion, parts per trillion, which is typically not how they're, it's actually milligrams per kilograms of body weight. But if we level the playing field and call it parts per million, parts per billion, parts per trillion, they're designed that way because they recognize that's actually the volume at which our body functions. So the way that I talk about hormones, like our hormones are communication messengers. That's all. They're just messengers that are communicating, but they communicate in whispers. Really small amounts. <laughs> yep. Really small amounts, like parts per trillion. That's what we're seeing flooding our bodies when we're seeing some kind of you know hormonal change or activity or fluctuation. And that's similar to the levels of chemicals that we are getting exposed to in these ranges of parts per trillion, parts per million, parts per billion. It's in this range that our body is actually designed to respond to when it comes to hormones. When it comes to other things, the dose does make the poison. Small amount of radiation is not going to be, and when we get radiation when we eat a banana, when we go out in the sun, like that radiation is not harmful in order for harm to be a result of radioactive exposure, it's got to be very, very high. So in right. that instance, yeah, sure, the dose absolutely makes the poison. But when it comes to the endocrine system specifically, there's this whole field of research that is like kind of turning that concept on its head. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people are just resistant to anything that's new or that goes <laughs> yeah. counter to what the establishment or established thinking is. But there's, you know, thousands and thousands of studies in the literature that are showing these 
effects, these more dramatic effects at extremely low levels. And that's why it's so important for everybody, I'll just say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, men and women. Whether you have a hormonal issue or not, yeah. to be conscious of the fact that, you know, you know, like what I think is really hard for people to grasp is that hormonal imbalances and it's a slow burn. It's not like, yes, this is not something where like you use shampoo that has an endocrine disrupting chemical in it. And you're like, Oh my God, now I have Hashimoto's. Oh, right. It's not how it works. Right. These are processes, right? So cancer is a process. Yes. Our hormones changing over time. These are things that happen over time. So it's a slow burn. And that's also what's happening with these exposures to chemicals. I know a lot of people will sort of, there's, you know, push back and be like, oh, if this stuff is so toxic, why are people, you know, pouring into emergency rooms? And like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about acute exposures. We're talking about really low dose, subtle, subtle, chronic exposures that over time build up and, you know, can kind of pile on and have a cumulative effect. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I know a lot of, I'm sure our audience is probably familiar with like BPA that you brought up. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of info out there about BPA being an endocrine disruptor, but I feel like we don't really go beyond that. Women might know, okay, I'm going to stop using plastic and, you know, I'm not going to use my plastic water bottle, but like, what else? Because I know there are so many things. Oh, yeah. And I always say, like, you know, there's a lot that we can control. And then there's also a lot that we can't control. Like yep. you're going to walk outside your door, you're going to be exposed to toxins, emissions, yep. transportation, like whatever it all is, you know, but there's so many things within your household that you can control that yep. do have endocrine disruptors. So like, what are some of the areas that we really want to kind of revamp and clean up? Yeah. Endocrine disrupting chemicals are unfortunately going to be in like literally every room in your house. So <laughs> yep. I really encourage people to start with the things that are the easiest to change that aren't that expensive. So we started by talking about water. Water is actually not that easy to change because there's an upfront cost of maybe a couple hundred dollars yes. or more. And so even though it's so important, it's usually not even where I have people start because like, let's start with the stuff that's easy. And, you know, you mentioned plastics. Plastics for sure are a exposure source to chemicals. It's not always BPA. It's really funny. I just keep noticing that like every blog or article that I've ever seen for the most part on BPA shows a plastic water bottle that's not made from BPA. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, come on guys. Get it right. (laughs) I'm like, those bottles don't contain BPA. Those bottles contain phthalates, which are a different type of chemical, but also an endocrine disruptor. So I'm like, just find a picture that's the right picture. That would be like, I'm going to write a blog about lemons. And then there's a picture of a tomato. And you're like, what? So So, then, okay, hold on. I'm just going to stop you right there because like you obviously would know something like that. Yes because it's your area of expertise, like how would I know looking at this plastic is BPA or not? Yeah, good, good question. So if you're looking at, for example, a water bottle and you turn it over, you'll see those like chasing arrow symbols. I don't know, you, you have those up in Canada. Yep, yep, like five, four, two. You'll see one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, yeah. Are the number categories. And what's really crazy is those recycling, the chasing arrow symbols, which is the symbol for recycling. yes. That symbol does not actually designate that the plastic is recycling. It's nothing to do with recycling. Good to know. It's just a general classification of a type of plastic. And there are some plastics that are better than others. So this phenol A in plastic specifically is used to make the plastic rigid and hard. So a pull and spring water bottle, for example, that you can squeeze and crinkle, you're never going to find bisphenol A in there. You will, however, find other chemicals like phthalates or antimony, but you're not going to find bisphenol A's in there or other bisphenols. Where you'll find bisphenols are in polycarbonate plastics. So that's the like Nalgene bottle, your Vitamix, your Bullet Blender, your Ninja, your Cuisinart food processor bowl, that like clear, rigid plastic that that is intended to mimic glass. Mm Mm-hmm that doesn't have any sort of resiliency or flexibility. It's just very hard. That is polycarbonate plastic. It's what eyeglasses are made of. It's what CDs 
I know we're in the almost in 2020. So mentioning CD. <laughs> what, what did you just say? C- yeah, what are those? <laughs> VHS tape. Yeah. yeah. So, so CDs are made of that. You know, there's lots of different places where polycarbonate is used. And those are the types of plastics that have bisphenol A or its replacement chemicals. So any of those products that are marketed as BPA free, very often what manufacturers have done is they've just taken out BPA because that's the one that has all the like public spotlight on it. And they've just replaced it with chemicals in the same family that are nearly identical in physical structure, molecular structure, so BPS and BPF, which if we go back to what I was saying earlier about molecular structure, like the tiny change in in the shape of that key, for example, isn't it's still going to open the damn lock. Right. So it doesn't matter. And so most BPA-free plastics, I either dismiss as being they probably have these replacements or it's just buzzword marketing. So for example, we see Ziploc bags, which are soft and flexible. Yep. Marketed as BPA-free. Those bags never contain- Of course they are BPA-free, yes. They never contained BPA, but consumers don't know that. Right. And so they're like, oh, I'm going to buy this. It's safe. But, you know, there's other chemicals that can migrate out from softer plastics. Right. And so- those chasing arrow symbols can be helpful in helping to prioritize which plastics to avoid, like which ones are bad and which ones are okay. I don't actually think any plastics are great right? as it pertains to contact with food. Like obviously, you know, lots of things in our homes are plastic. I don't really worry about those things because I can't. Right. And I don't want to be plastic phobic, yeah. but I do <laughs> want to be mindful of plastic as it comes in contact with my food. So there's a little rhyme that goes, well, I've changed it a little bit. So it's five, four, two, all the rest are bad for you. Okay. So numbers five, four, and two aren't that bad. They don't seem to leach compounds, but everything else has concerns. So plastic number one can leach phthalates. That's what our like colon spring, you know, single use water bottles are typically made out of, you know, number six, I think is polystyrene. That's styrofoam. That's a no that leaches styrene into our food. Bisphenol A in the polycarbonate category falls into the other category, which is number seven, is other. Okay. So, yeah. And so those are the numbers you're saying when you kind of look at the bottom of your bottle. Yeah. But not all plastics will have those numbers. So, you know, this is really where I encourage people in as many places as possible to just start eliminating plastics in the kitchen where they come in contact with food. So, like, the plastic pasta strainer, the mixing bowls, like all of that stuff that we don't really think about. Obviously, the plastic food storage containers. And then for people- The cutting board. Oh my God, I will never forget you telling me that like years ago. And I was like, oh, I never thought of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. They actually breed more bacteria than wood cutting boards. So Yes. I do not use them anymore. And people think I can throw it in the dishwasher. Like- Right. So just working on sort of systematically reducing those plastics in the kitchen is a great place to start. I would be remiss if I didn't also point out that we want to emphasize the consumption of organic foods because not because they're more nutrient dense. Some studies have shown that they are, others have shown that they're not, but because they reduce our body burden pesticides. And, you know, There have been a number of intervention studies that have shown that, you know, we can reduce the circulating levels of pesticides in the body by, you know, 80 to 90% in three to five days, which is great because that's just a way to reduce our exposures. And that's not 100% organic. It's like, do the best that we can. Yes. And prioritize organic food when you can. But like, you know, I don't worry about that too much when I go out to eat because have to live in the world. Of course. It just like you said, it's what we do all the like the majority of the time that matters the most. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So geez, I'm like, I could just keep going. So then, you know, once we've done that, an really easy and in fact sort of free thing that people can do is just ditch all those terrible home fragrances, like the plug-in and Febreze. And like, if you are a Lyft or an Uber driver, please listen right now. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Please do not use those terrible air fresheners in your car. I always feel like a freaking Labrador rolling the window and sticking my head out. Yeah. In one of those cars. Totally feel you on that one. Yep. (laughs) And you know, the chemicals that are in these 
products, many of them are endocrine disrupting chemicals. There's phthalates that are used in the manufacture of the fragrances that those products contain, but there's also other chemicals that are maybe not endocrine disrupting, but that are, you know, VOCs that might affect the neurological system or have another, you know, sort of other health effects associated with them. Unfortunately, because of all of these, the cleaning products and the air fresheners and all the scented candles, plus all of the furniture and all the other paint on our walls and all these other chemicals that we bring in, the air inside our homes is often much more polluted than the air outside, which is where we're usually talking about pollution is like particulate matter from vehicles or exhaust or industry but you know, people are really shocked sometimes to learn that the EPA has found that indoor air can be five to ten, in some cases even hundred times more polluted than air outside. And that's because of all this crap that we're bringing in, and because we don't open our windows, we build our homes to be super energy efficient. Right. And so, open your windows. I love opening my windows. My windows are open all year round. I sleep with my window open. Like. Yep. It's just, we want to have good air exchange. And I recognize like if someone's living in Southern Florida, like not as easy. (laughs) For sure. But like we, again, we do the best that we can. If you live in a climate where opening the windows year round is really hard, get an air filter, get some extra help in cleaning up that air. Because again, not everybody's going to be able to like throw out their couch and rip out their carpets. Like, you know, these are things that are not easy to change. Right. And so we do the best that we can by addressing them in in ways that are helpful. You know, for people that have respiratory issues or asthma or anything like that or, you know, allergies, it's really a good idea to get air purification systems in place to help clean up this stuff that we don't have as much control over. Are there any that you recommend? I mean, here we actually use we ordered one called the Rabbit Air. Are you familiar with that one? I'm not I don't know that brand. The, the brands that I generally recommend are like IQ Air, Austin Air. There's a company called Blue Air that makes pretty good ones. There's a company called EnviroCleanse that makes a pretty good air purifier. So those are sort of like the top companies out there that are making, you know, really good quality air filters that are actually doing the job. I think those like Dyson products don't do anything, right. unfortunately. Like, <laughs> Good to you know, know. And I'm just, I don't care. I'm just going to throw some companies under the bus. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, we got to tell it how it is. Yeah, the molecule filter has really, caught, like, that's the sort of Apple or Mac styled air filter that's like sexy and oh, okay. cool. And everyone's like, I love it. And <laughs> I can't remember what the, it's not, it was not consumer reports, but it was some other sort of tech review um, company that has been doing air purifier, air filter reviews for a couple of years. And they actually just recently came out with a, their 2019 review and actually said that Molecule was the worst tested filter filter they've ever tested <sighs> in all the years they've been doing. Oh, man. It just doesn't work. And unfortunately, the technology that it uses is apparently prone to actually releasing compounds like titanium dioxide into the air. I actually purchased one and then sold it because oh my god, it was terrible. And I thought it made my air worse. Worse. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. So and I even have like, I've known a handful of people that are like, I have one of those. I'm like, go sell it. Yeah. Sell it. <laughs> Put it on eBay or something. Yep, that's what I did. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> I mean, not that i feel that good about selling somebody else a bad product. Of course, I was going to (laughs) say. But it was also like $700. So, you know. I get it. Yeah. So this is making me think of, okay, so for example, like my parents, like I would love to know how you address this. Like you kind of touched on it. So for example, my fiance fiance and I just moved into our new house this year and we've been really conscious of all the products that we're buying and furniture and everything, you know, we've been focusing on like more natural wood and, you know, the paint that we use, just everything as natural as possible. And we bought an organic latex mattress and, you know, telling my parents these things, they're just like looking at me like I literally have three heads. And the common thing that I hear is, 
we've been non-organic for years and, and we're fine. Yeah. And we're fine. We've been sleeping yeah. on a regular mattress. Why'd you spend 3000 on a mattress? You could have gone to Leon's and bought a $600 mat, you know, like, yeah. And they're just like, yeah, but we're fine. So why do you do this? So like, what do you say to that? So I get that a lot. I just posted about it on Instagram recently. Oh, awesome. Okay. <laughs> it literally just says like, I've been using this stuff and I'm fine, fine. <laughs> because it's a really, really common response. And you know, what I usually say, sort of a hybrid combination of a couple of things is, you know, one, congratulations, you <laughs> might be lucky that you not only have, you know, survived this far without having any health issues whatsoever, you may also have genetics that work more in your favor, that all your detox pathways are open. You don't have any like weird genetic SNPs that are compromising your detox pathways. Maybe your parents didn't have chemical exposures or grandparents that maybe predisposed you to chronic illness, which is very common. And congratulations. But then I would also typically ask people like, well, let's, what do you mean by fine? Like they define fine as like, well, I don't have cancer. It's true. And it's like, okay, well, that's a really, like, that's not a good benchmark to (laughs) define fine. Because if you really ask people like what's going on with them, they're like, yeah, well, I have rheumatoid arthritis or I have, you know, chronic joint pain or I have chronic digestive issues or like I have eczema patches that are flaring up all the time or I, you know, whatever it is. Yes. And to be clear, like, I know they're not fine. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I know they're and not. so like those are like whether that's related to toxic chemicals or not, the reality is people are not generally fine, unfortunately. So what I usually say is like, you know, you might be fine, but like collectively we as people are not fine mm-hmm. because we have massive rates of chronic disease that just keep compounding and getting worse. Like, you know, when we're having to rename type two diabetes because it used to be called like, you know, it used to be called juvenile diabetes. Oh, yes. And then they just like renamed it because they're like, oh, well, everyone's getting that now. You know, when we're seeing upticks in, you know, developmental issues and hormone issues and fertility issues, like we collectively are not fine. And, you know, again, whether we can attribute all of this or even part of it to environmental exposures, like, you know, we can't say that for certain, but the research certainly suggests that these exposures are compounding or causing or exacerbating these health conditions. And the reality is that our parents and grandparents and especially great-grandparents were not exposed to the number of chemicals and foreign substances that we are now. I mean, even if you go back to like the 1970s and you compare like a box of Fruit Loops from the 1970s to a box of Fruit Loops now, like the version now is just like loaded with all these artificial dyes and sugars and preservatives that didn't even exist in the same dang product like 40 years ago. Right. And so products are changing, exposures are changing. There's new chemicals, again, that are untested that are just you know, we're all being exposed to that didn't exist in previous generations. And so having to deal with a lot more. And then of course we can compound all of those exposures that we're getting with the fact that like, you know, we don't sleep well, we eat like garbage, we're really stressed out, all of the, you know, this access to all the information from all over the world at every moment and every death and every fire and every tragedy shows up in our iPhone every morning just creates a very stressed, anxious body that compromises our sleep, that compromises our everything. And so obviously it's not just exposure to toxins. I'm not, would never suggest that it was the cause, right? but it is a massive factor. Part of, yeah, for sure. It's a big part of it. And you know, that's something that previous generations didn't have to contend with. But, you know, I think that communicating with friends and with family on this is really hard because unless they have buy-in, they tend to just be very dismissive of the effort that we put in to avoid these chemicals. But, you know, I think that there's more and more very public things happening in the news that kind of shine a spotlight on these topics in ways that can help people who maybe aren't in our healthy living bubble 
pay more attention. So when we have, for example, issues like lead in the drinking water in Flint, Michigan, here in the States that like everybody was paying attention to because it's a massive deal. And then all of a sudden, all of these other water utilities are like, shit, we should probably test our water. And they're like, oh, wow, (laughs) we have more lead than Flint. Like, oh, God, hundreds of other cities actually had higher levels than Flint. Flint was just the one that put the topic on the map. And so suddenly this like, I don't need a water filter. That's just silly. Is like, oh, actually maybe we do because like cities all around the country are dealing with this, these public health crisis of lead exposure, or now it's these perfluorinated chemicals, you know, that are kind of on the spotlight right now. And so these sort of big events put the spotlight on things that people would otherwise likely be dismissive of and be like, oh, whatever, it's fine. So, you know, Johnson & Johnson getting oh God, sued, yeah. you know, sued because there's, you know, product is linked to some type of cancer. They just came out that a random check of Johnson & Johnson talcum powder found asbestos in it, which they like vehemently de- denied in their previous trial. Oh God. And it's like, guys, we're not making this shit up. Right. Like these things are out there. We know asbestos causes cancer, causes mesothelioma. It's not something that's debatable. Federal government here has still, still, still not banned asbestos. And I never, ever, ever want to present this information from a place of causing people to feel anxious or overwhelmed or fearful I want people to be just aware yes. that these issues exist and that there are ways that you can modify your lifestyle and change some behaviors in your daily life that certainly will not harm anything, right? There is no harm in switching from plastic to glass yep. or from you know one type of food to another type of food. It can only help. It can't hurt. And if we're dealing with a chronic illness, as many people are, and we're actively trying to find solutions, let's just add this into what we're doing. And, you know, I, I personally have nothing but anecdotal evidence to say, because I, you know, I'm not working in a research capacity, but I have plenty of anecdotal evidence of individuals who have changed lots of things in their lives. Things didn't get better. They addressed the toxic exposures they were getting, and that's the thing that moved the needle for them, whether it's getting rid of their dental amalgams or they, you know, learning they have mold in their house, like whatever it is, it certainly changes people's perspectives. And, you know, we can't convince everyone. We're not here to convince anyone. We're just here to provide education and really empower people to take charge of their health in a different way. And if people are on board with that, great, but not everyone's going to be on board. Yeah, totally. I totally hear you. That was so good. So much information in there. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have one last question that doesn't really have anything to do with chemicals. It has to do with matcha because I know you love to drink matcha and you even have a cat named matcha. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. (laughs) So I'd love it if you can just finish us off with telling, telling us why you love matcha. Why is it so good for us? So I love it because it tastes good, number one, because I'm not, I'm the person that like, even if it's super healthy and it doesn't taste good, like forget it. I just can't, <laughs> yeah. like no green juices, like I'm like, <laughs> it's not delicious, I won't drink it. So one, I think it's delicious. Two, I really think that it is a great food for generally speaking, most people to incorporate into their lives because it has such high levels of antioxidants. It's got one of the highest ORAC values, meaning that's the rating system for the level of antioxidants that foods have. A lot of the toxins that we're exposed to cause oxidative damage in the body. So it's a great sort of everyday weapon against these exposures. It's very rich in chlorophyll. So matcha tea is unlike other tea most tea leaves you steep and then you actually throw away the leaves. Matcha tea is actually ground up powdered leaves. So you're actually consuming the plant, which is different from other steeped teas. And the bright green color that matcha is, and if your matcha tea is not a bright green color, it's not a good tea. So <laughs> good to know. But it's really high in chlorophyll and chlorophyll has been shown to bind to things like heavy metals in the body and help excrete them out. So it's like a great sort of what I call everyday detox tea. And when I say detox tea, I don't mean like, you're going to sit on the toilet for six hours, not that kind of like detox. Yeah, totally. 
totally. No, not like that. It just <laughs> helps to support the natural detoxification process that our body is undergoing at all times every day. It also is a really great tea for people who are, and obviously some people are going to be different, but who are sensitive to caffeine. So I can't do caffeine right. in any other form than matcha. So coffee makes me insane. I don't need more energy. Me on coffee is like, yeah. But matcha tea in particular has really high levels of an amino acid called L-theanine and L-theanine provides a really calming focused energy. So it so offsets the caffeine spike and drop and jitters that you might get from other sources of caffeine, even things like regular green tea or black teas those still have a pretty high spike. So I love it for those reasons. I always, always encourage people to make sure their matcha tea is certified organic because they can be pesticides on those tea leaves that we are consuming. And ideally that their tea is also tested for heavy metals and radioactive isotopes because it is grown in Japan or should be grown in Japan. And if possible to test for fluoride because tea plants, green tea or tea in general, tends to be a hyper accumulator of fluoride, naturally occurring fluoride. Mm -hmm. And so some teas, including black teas, can actually be really high in fluoride. So people might be drinking tea as an alternative to coffee, thinking it's healthier and then getting excessive levels of fluoride. Right. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I was just recently gifted a matcha and it was like, it's the brightest I've ever seen. And I have no idea the brand because there's just Japanese writing all over it, but I can definitely take a picture and send it to you. But it is so, so good. I'm obsessed with it, but I'm so sad because like the container is so tiny and I'm like, try to salvage. It's really potent. I tend to, and I apologize if there's noise in the background, the lower guys just showed up. (laughs) It's all good. Nemesis. The recommended cup is a half a teaspoon. I do a teaspoon in mine. Yeah, I do about a teaspoon. Um, (laughs) And I also do mine latte style. So I do it like basically bulletproof style. So collagen and coconut milk and a little bit of vanilla and a little bit of honey. And it's delicious. Delicious. Yeah, I start, like I said, I love matcha so much. I named my cat matcha. (laughs) That's so cute. I love that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with us today. Where can everybody find you? They can find me on Instagram at environmental toxins nerd. They can check out my courses and anything else that I have over on my website, which is just my name, laraadler.com, L-A-R-A-A-D-L-E-R.com. Amazing. Well, we will be sure to put all of that in the show notes and thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really hope you enjoyed our topic, environmental toxins. If you are looking for more information, if you're a health practitioner that really wants to dive deeper into environmental toxins, there are a lot of amazing online courses available that Laura offers. So head on over to lauraadler.com and also follow her on Instagram, environmental toxins nerd. I learned so much from her on Instagram. She shares some amazing tips and strategies to really help you prevent everyday toxic exposures from undermining your health and your hormones. So definitely go check her out. And if you want to pre-order the 30-day hormone solution, you can head on over to hormonesolutionbook.com and grab over $350 in amazing online bonuses. So thanks everybody for tuning in. So happy to have you here. I also hope you have an amazing Halloween. I can't wait. I'm so excited to dress up and give out candy and see all the kids in their amazing costumes. It is literally my favorite day ever. And also grab today's show notes over on the website, holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 80. Thank you so much for being here. I'll chat with you all next week.